0: It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas.
1: Yes, indeed, it is beginning to look a lot
2: yeah, like Christmas. Vocal stylings of Perry Cairo there. Ooh. In case anybody's wondering
1: who that is. Yeah. Very nice. And one of Seattle's most beloved and historic holiday displays, Candy Cane Lane in Ravenna will be opening this Saturday. Our resident historian, Felix Binell, stopped by last night to get a sneak peek here at the preparations and to hear from the volunteer neighbors who are helping carry on a tradition, I didn't know this, 80 years and counting.
2: I know, it's crazy. It's Christmas light season, there's lights there's all kinds of fancy places you can go and see displays, like zoo lights at Point Defiance, wild lanterns at Woodland Park, Garden Delights in Bellevue. Candy Cane Lane is a little different, a little more organic, a little more people-powered. It's been around a while, since at least 1948, based on some old newspaper clippings. But before we get into that, this is a history spot, right? I want to talk about the fact this is the 50th anniversary of the holiday season of 1973. Raise your hand if you remember that holiday season. Okay, good, Sully. After the Yom Kippur War in Israel and Egypt in October of that year, an OPEC oil embargo followed, and we had ourselves a full-on energy crisis. Gas prices went through the roof. Around the United States, Americans were told to tone down and even entirely forego outdoor Christmas lights (gasps) to save energy. It's hard to believe. I remember 75th Street on Rose Hill was a a dark place. Now, locally, Seattle City Light worked with the media to encourage customers to skip lighted outdoor decorations. Even President Richard Nixon, it was his last Christmas in office, by the way, when he flipped the switch on the national Christmas tree on December 14th, 1973, to illuminate just a single light where in previous years there had been thousands. That is sad. Well, he tried to reassure Americans that everything was going to be okay. And in a way, I suppose one could say, with only one light on the tree, this will be a very dreary Christmas. But we know that isn't true. Because the spirit of Christmas is not measured by the number of lights on a tree. The spirit of Christmas is measured by the love that each of us has in his heart. For his family, for his friends, for his fellow Americans, and for people all over the world. And then he, went, then he went on to read from his enemies list. No, yeah, just exactly. <laughs> um, Okay. <laughs> yes, easy to poke fun at that guy. If you've never been to Candy Cane Lane, it's a neighborhood display. that involves yeah. about 25 homes on a short little street called Park Road. It's off Ravenna Boulevard around 21st Avenue Northeast. This is just north of Greek Row and down the hill toward New Village. I've been going there to see the display for at least 40 years, but I went out in the dark and cold last night to get my first look ever at the preparations for the big opening this coming Saturday. Now, the exact origins of Candy Cane Lane are a bit of a mystery. It might have been 1948. That's when holiday lights on Park Road were first mentioned in the Seattle Times. Or it might have been during World War II when non-lighted decorations were a fact of life during wartime blackouts. Now, if his history does seem related to outdoor holiday decoration contests the Seattle Times ran every year from 1927 to 1968, and Candy Cane Lane won that contest on many occasions, the physical evidence that ties it all together, and this is the inspiration for the name, the big metal candy canes you'll see there one at each house on the lane. This is Candy Cane Lane resident Maggie Sweeney, who's lived on the street since 2001. If you look,
3: every house will have a candy cane, and it, it looks just like an old metal pipe that's painted. And uh, when people move, that is the one thing that stays with the house. And so many of us have original, these original wow. old candy canes. Oh, cool. um, and that is how this Lane got to be called Candy Cane Lane because everybody had those.
2: See how professional you hear me saying cool in the background because I'm no, a good I professional radio professional. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, it, you're it supposed shows... to just nod your head. But <laughs> I always go, ooh, wow. Anyway. Uh, it's <laughs> what a like treasure trove for a
4: historian,
2: though. And, and it's literally made from Did a... Did you like, ask if you could touch the candy cane? I got to touch the candy ooh. cane. Yeah, it's made from like six feet of old six-inch diameter stovepipe you'd see connecting a wood stove to a chimney like off a hardware store oh, shelf cute. from the 40s. Now, Maggie Sweeney says one story is that those candy canes were first made during World War II for a non-lighted display during the blackout. There's no proof of that, but I love that story. Now, along with the metal candy cane, each house also has a particular set of decorations installed and maintained by the family that lives in that house. You know, Lots of painted plywood reindeer and that kind of thing. Then there's a community, community decoration in the traffic circle at the top of the lane. That's kind of the main gathering spot. features a big rotating structure spun by an electric motor hidden in the holly bush- with colorful decorative panels and lighting And the, the theme this year is the Nutcracker And there's Christmas carols playing on one of those old Six CD changers And blasting from outdoor speakers at two locations along the lane Now, if all of this sounds sophisticated And high tech, then I'm not doing a very good job um, Maggie Sweeney says Candy Cane Lane In her words is homespun
3: If you're looking for a big Light display This is not where you're going You're going to come here for tradition You're going to come here for community Most of the people walk Through um, the little store across the street, they do a big hot chocolate and coffee stand during Candy Cane Lane, and we like to pass out candy canes. The one thing we don't do is we don't accept any money. We're we've really stuck to the whole non-commercial aspect of of being just a neighborhood place. And we, we use LED lights now, too, in case anybody's wondering. LED LED. At one point, someone accused us of being the Las Vegas of
2: Seattle. <laughs> oh, no. is, is that a bad thing? Um, <laughs> what a sick no. bird. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Merry Christmas! Now, Joseph Mantelang, uh is one of the organizers. Back in October 2009, he and his wife, who was pregnant with twins at the time, unsuspectingly bought their house on Park Road. You know, it's not called Candy Cane Lane the rest of the year. Oh, they were man. told about Candy Cane Lane, but they didn't really get it until they came back to take a look in person that
0: December. I'm like, sure, I like Christmas. I'll put up some lights. But I I had no idea until we walked the street what was going on, and we were like, "Oof, you know, what did we get ourselves into?"
2: You know, (laughs) I got, I got to get a better microphone. I'm, I'm, I'm a longer pole. Anyway, Joseph loves it now. He's one of the biggest boosters of the work parties that have happened the past two weekends. That will culminate this Saturday morning, in time for a 4 p.m. official start on Saturday afternoon. It's just a really special neighborhood. It's one of these occasions, I'm visiting this little community and I'm jealous of the people who live there and get to yeah. do this stuff. It's all because of a Christmas light display that dates back to the Truman administration.
0: Well, say, yeah, it's a gift to, to the community, you know, it gives for people to, to celebrate, but I think it's really a gift to us. So because of Candy Cane Lane, we all come together, we all decorate our houses, we all decorate this circle as a community. Um, because of that, we know all of our neighbors. You know that—that's got to be rare in this time in Seattle. Who knows all their neighbors? My kids have been in half these houses. Um, everybody gets along. I mean, it's 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 pretty cool.
2: You know, and they get kind of stressed out by the time the thing's all over, or if someone's stolen the Grinch again, or sure. if a party bus shows up in the middle of the night. There, you know, it, it has its downsides too. But overall, it's a very positive thing. Now it opens this Saturday, runs through January first. Lights are on from 4 to 11 on Fridays and Saturdays, 4 to 9.30 the rest of the week. They do collect food donations for the food bank. They, they collected something like two tons last year. They don't collect money. They want they want, uh, non-perishables. And uh, there's walk-only nights on the 7th, 14th, and 21st of December. And December 7th, the Husky Marching Band will be there. Fun. Joseph Manalang says there's nothing like standing there at the Park Circle Park Road Lane there in the circle with uh, tequila being played by the Husky Marching Band and all the lights flashing and everything. Great, great, amazing Seattle. Very Seattle, very special local place. Candy I love cane it. Lane. Yeah.
1: Felix Bunnell, thank you very much for giving us the history on Candy Cane Lane. You've got three teenagers who escaped from the Echo Glen Detention Center in Snoqualmie are expected to be charged today. Cairo News Radio's Kate Stone has the details on what we are learning about the teen's potentially violent past.
5: One of the teens, a 16-year-old boy, is behind bars for killing two people in separate shootings in Renton, both when he was 14 years old. According to documents obtained from the King County Prosecuting Attorney's Office, the boy shot and killed a 22-year-old man outside a Safeway in October of 2021. A few months later, he shot and killed a 54-year-old man outside a Circle Food convenience store. That man's widow telling Cairo 7 TV,
3: The young man was standing right there. He took a step or two. He
1: got his attention in some way. and He turned around and he shot him. He laid right here. The kid got in the car and they drove off.
5: In both murders, investigators believe the teen did not know the victims and shot them after a short verbal confrontation. The other two alleged escapees from Sunday night, one 16-year-old and one 17-year-old, were involved in separate prison riots at Echo Glen Children's Center, according to court records. One of those riots happened last August and involved five boys, including the 16-year-old, who was also a convicted murderer. The Jason Ranch show on KTTH obtained recordings of 911 calls made by an Echo Glen Staffer, we need um, uh, law enforcement backup immediately. Okay. It reportedly got so bad that at one point riot gear was suggested. They are
0: currently rioting and trying to attempting to escape from the back court, courtyard. Okay, and they're breaking the exterior glass and trying to throw the glass at the staff.
5: And during a different riot this past April, police say the 17-year-old boy kicked a Snoqualmie police sergeant and spit on a King County deputy. Sunday's escape marks the fourth such incident in the past two years. Snoqualmie resident Jason Len says, uh, It's troubling. Um, I would hope and expect that uh, they would find maybe solutions. It comes just six months after seven other teenagers broke out of the facility. When it happened back in May, Ryan Schmidt with the King County Prosecutor's Office says the teens ambushed a female staffer. Dragged
1: her into one of the cells and locked her in, and then leaves with the rest of the, the respondents
6: in the, the victim's car.
5: Those teens were all recaptured within about 36 hours, but it still has. Snoqualmie residents like Kim Jones on edge. She tells Cairo 7 TV.
7: We don't know how dangerous they are, what they were in for. It's a complicated
4: situation because they are youths and we are obviously hoping that these kids are getting the rehabilitation that they need.
5: The Washington State Department of Children, Youth and Families, which runs Echo Glen, confirms the medium maximum security facility is, quote, not fenced, but is bordered by natural wetlands. The department says it is designed to be a quote therapeutic environment for young people. But some neighbors like Jason Len wonder how effective that is. Some of the barriers and surrounding areas have been brought into question. I know some of the people who volunteer at the complex say that uh, it's understaffed. The campus is surrounded by the neighborhoods of Eagle Point, Astor Creek and Deer Park. Following the breakout in May, residents were able to opt in to new notifications through the alert King County system that provides specific warnings about any escaped juveniles. Nearby homeowner Jim Gray saying,
0: I think it's rare, but more than you would really like to have, but police seem to be having good control on that.
5: Nearly two years ago, officials announced they were implementing a number of security changes after another high-profile breakout of five teens. Those changes included a key card-controlled video-activated gate, as well as upgraded staff training protocols and a deep-dive security audit. But it's unclear how much progress, if any, has been made since then. Calls to state officials have not been returned. Meanwhile, Jim Gray says he's on alert.
0: My wife last night just said, you know, make sure everything's boarded up and uh, be secure.
5: Kate Stone, Cairo News Radio.
0: And we
1: will be tracking today's court appearance for those teens and keep you posted on charges and how that story develops as well. Welcome back to Seattle's Morning News. I'm Travis Mayfield in for Dave Ross. Colleen O'Brien is here, along with Chris Sullivan as well. The Kitsap and Olympic Peninsula's Washington sixth congressional district will be getting a new member of Congress next year. That's because Representative Derek Kilmer, a Democrat, announced a few weeks ago he's not running for re-election. So we are spending some time over the next couple of days interviewing some of the candidates who are running to replace him because this could be a very heated election. So joining us now on the line, Washington State Senator Emily Randall, Democrat of Remerton. Senator Randall, good
0: morning. Good morning, Travis, Colleen. So good to be with you. Senator, the 6th
1: Congressional District has elected a Democrat for decades, but it does include areas that consistently vote Republican. Some pundits say this is a district that in the current political climate is ripe to turn red. Are you the right Democrat to stop that from happening?
0: Well, I feel like I'm the right um, candidate for my district because I've been serving the people of the 26th for the last five years, and, you know, arguably the 26th district is even purpler or more red than the 6th Congressional District, but it represents such a cross-section of, you know, the, the neighbors all across the Olympic Peninsula, including rural pockets and urban pockets and, um, you know, a lot of forest land and some suburbs. My community cares a lot about regular issues impacting um, their families, their budgets, their futures, and I don't think those are necessarily Republican or Democratic issues, they're just regular people issues.
4: And yet Representative Derek Kilmer has thrown his support behind uh, Hillary Franz, the current public lands commissioner, who's also running for this uh, sixth congressional district seat. Can you draw some policy differences between you and Hillary Franz that might indicate Kilmer chose wrong?
0: Well, you know, I, I have been so honored to um, work alongside Congressman Kilmer for the last five, six years, Um here in our community, we work on on infrastructure issues like tackling uh, the traffic problems in GORST and pushing for budget investments. We've um, both care a lot about education access. Comer was a former chair of the higher education committee when he was in the legislature, and I serve in that position now in the Senate. And I also feel really honored to have launched my campaign with. Sixty plus endorsements from elected officials all around the peninsula, from all six counties and across the state. You know the momentum. I think that I've felt behind me. Um, in fact, you know the twelve hours of folks calling me to ask me to think about running right after Kilmer's announcement. I think reflects my policy work in Olympia. Um, in the Senate, I have I currently serve as deputy. Majority Leader in addition to the chair of the Senate Higher Education Committee, and I bring my personal story and the stories of my neighbors to that work to fight to make Washington the most affordable place to go to college, to ensure that we're integrating our apprenticeship programs with our community and technical college system so that folks who journey out um, of their apprenticeship, like my dad did so, so many years ago, Um, We'll also do so with a transferable associate's degree so that if the economy changes, if their family circumstances change, if, you know, their health changes, like my dad, when he blew out his knees and couldn't crawl around in the belly of a ship anymore, they'll be able to grow or pivot without having to go back and start at the beginning and think about an entirely new career path. I feel like we have done so much for education opportunities and economic opportunities for Washingtonians. In addition to um, the strong work that I have led expanding healthcare access, defending reproductive rights and freedom here in Washington state, and building a pathway towards universal healthcare, we established the country's strongest state-based universal healthcare policy by passing the Universal Healthcare Commission. and so. As we lower costs, as we increase access, we're making life a little bit easier for Washingtonians. And I'm really so, so proud of that
1: work. And Senator, your district, heavily military with the shipyard, with um, the the uh, sub base, so much military um, in the congressional district there in the 6th. And, and I'm just wondering, it feels like our military is at a crossroads at this moment with what we're funding, what we're doing technologically. Are we sort of stuck in the past with our old fleets? Do we need to make big changes and in investments to keep the world safer from encroachment, China, for example, or the the two wars that we are currently on the sidelines of, how do you see at a federal level how your district, if you were to be elected, could be part of that conversation and what it could mean for your voters?
0: Yeah, thank you. You know, I think, um, you know, our military presence in the 26th district and in the 6th congressional district is one of the big strengths of our community. You know, I come from a family of veterans. So many of my friends, family, neighbors, loved ones um, have worked for the Department of Defense at the shipyard, um, just like the rest of our community. You know, this is a community where the biggest employer is, you know, the military and the Department of Defense. And I think it's a real strength for us. We see so much innovation here. Happening not just on the base, but um, you know, from folks who have separated from service and but are still working as contractors. We see great partnerships between um, between our naval installation and you know WSU um, engineering program at the Bremerton OC campus um, on you know underwater drones. Um, and really exciting stuff that is, you know, building the technology of the future, both for the military and for civilian society. I think that's a huge strength. And I think that we'll continue to see innovation right here in our community. And what we need is someone know, who will fight for the resources that our neighbors need in Washington, D.C., and I'm excited to support that work.
4: Speaking of resources, a big part of the 6th Congressional District is the ferry system, which is an absolute mess right now, with only, what, 14 out of 21 in service right now. So tell me what proposals you'll bring to Congress to help this situation.
0: Yeah, thank you. You know, the ferries. I, one of the reasons that I went, to Olympia in the first place um, and that I was excited to serve on the Transportation Committee and to serve as one of the lead negotiators of the Move Ahead Washington infrastructure package was because our ferries needed attention. It's staffing, it's capital, it's um, so many years of decades really of deferred maintenance and underinvestment. And so while we have seen record investments in our ferry fleet here in Washington in the last five years, that that construction can't happen fast enough to um, allow neighbors to, to see um, that work you know, in their everyday commutes. My wife commutes to Bothell um, every day for work and she used to take the Edmonds to Kingston Ferry home. And now she drives around both ways because the one boat schedule and the smaller boats means so, what will really happen in Congress effort. then? Is it
4: funding? Yeah. Is it? Uh, I guess I'm looking for a proposal from you. You talk a lot about sure. what's being done and what's what people yeah. feel in Bremerton, but I want to hear solid policy issues.
0: Yeah, I think we definitely need federal funding to help support um, new construction of vessels. We've poured a ton of money in in Washington State. We need federal investments to allow us to build faster. I think there are some other staffing challenges that um you know we could use some flexibility from the um um, from the feds to help us solve you know some pockets of folks who are eligible for work on the ferry service that we'd like to see ease i think there's some questions about um international ferry construction that are worth pursuing i'm not saying right now that we need to open the doors to allow Um, You know, construction to happen in any country around the world. But I think it's important for us to explore those options because right now we're really limited. And so neighbors are looking to the B.C. ferry system and seeing um, construction happening so much more quickly and really wanting to know why we aren't able to do that, too. State
1: Senator Senator Emily Randall, pardon me. Thank you very much for joining us. Democrat of Bremerton running uh, to represent Washington's 6th Congressional District to replace Derek Kilmer. We appreciate your time this morning.
0: Thanks so much.
4: Time for your Daily Dose of Kindness now, brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. One group goes above and beyond to help others, traveling the world to serve communities in need. CBS's Wendy Gillette joined them for a journey in Plettenberg Bay, South Africa, east of Cape Town.
7: 20-year-old college student Mikkel Boyson wiped away tears, as she heard clearly for the first time in two years. It's- Amazing. As a child, Boyson discovered she had a hole in her inner ear. She underwent multiple surgeries and wore hearing aids, which worked well until she lost them in an accident. The audiology office in Plettenberg Bay, South Africa, where she lives, closed, leaving residents with no options. Hearing the call, an Indiana-based nonprofit recognized the need and arrived this fall to provide free clinics and hearing
3: aids. These hearing aids are actually... The life changing meaningful because this will really change my life.
7: Audiologists from across the country volunteer with the organization, donating their time and expertise to give the gift of hearing. They create what they call hearing smiles, the moment when patients can finally hear well or even for the first time. Hearing
5: is such an amazing sense, and these people have lost it, and then we're able to help them uh, get part of that back.
7: Doctors Judy Hutch from Tucson, Arizona and Deanne Rudden from Longmont, Colorado, often volunteer and travel together. All right, so I brought it up a bit.
8: We get the opportunity to see love in action.
7: Hearing the call travels to at least a dozen different countries every year. The mission is work but participants do get some downtime to enjoy the sights. Like-minded travelers call it voluntourism, combining volunteering and travel. Those looking to try it are advised to seek out a reputable organization led by qualified staff that promotes community involvement and provides clear information about how your money is spent. You get to see the the world while you're helping other people. It is like a win-win. Going the distance to give with travel that offers immediate returns.
4: That is Wendy Gillette reporting.
1: Joining us now, as he does every morning from the G and Ursula show, which is 9 to noon here on Cairo News Radio, is G Scott himself. G, so we got to talk about Sports Illustrated, because this story's been been kind of going for the last couple of days. There's new developments this morning, but the, the highlights are this. Sports Illustrated in some hot water after it came out that the publication had hired a company that produced articles for its website written under bylines and authors that do not exist, appear to have been created by artificial intelligence. Now, this morning, Sports Illustrated is denying that the news story The stories themselves were produced by AI. Just the bylines and the weird, creepy photos, those are AI. (laughs) But this whole thing is ridiculous. What do you think?
6: I'm sad. Yeah. And and when I say I'm sad, I mean, look, let me just lay it out for everyone that's listening. Maybe I can uh, show my age a little bit. We're talking about Sports Illustrated. We're talking about the platform the news publication that was at one point in time the pinnacle of both sports sports writing uh, photography i'm talking about sports illustrated was the end all be all me when i was growing up i every i used to i could not wait they got in the mail. I used to wait for the mailman to bring the Sports Illustrated. There used to be a time in my life before the internet. There's sometimes that, you know, you know, mom and dad, you know, you turn that TV off. So I couldn't turn the TV on. So I used to have to listen to the radio. I, I listened to the NCAA 1989 NCAA championship game with Ramil Robinson and Glenn Robinson, University of Michigan when they won on radio. I had to give you guys context so I can really tell you guys I'm really. Truly sad, because sports Illustrated for me was any and everything, and so here we are today. you mean to tell me sports Illustrated you I mean now don't get me wrong, I mean, I, I get it, you know, you guys are kind of become obsolete with everything else. Times are changing. you guys are kind of like the converse of the shoe industry kind of right now, but you mean to tell me you generated headshots, AI generated headshots, then you created fake writer profiles, and then You was going to keep it going. It was all good until somebody said something. And then when they said something, Colleen, they deleted it. And then then they come out, you know, actually, it was a third-party company that did that. Is that where we at, Sports Illustrated? Is that where we are? We're at the point where when something happens, you're telling us, you're telling little old me, you're talking to me. That oh sorry G I know you used to love us but uh yeah that was a third party well we age
4: of no accountability right like nobody wants to take accountability for their mistakes and yeah. I just I think it's going to take a coalition or a group of journalists to push back against AI I'm not sure what's out there right now I know Society of Professional Journalists and a lot of those organizations are saying hey we need rules we need guidelines because if you claim to be a journalistic magazine as Sports Illustrated has been for many decades then you need to adhere to those standards and. It does. I, I read the first sentence of this scandal and went, yeah. "Well,
1: yeah, that doesn't no, even make sense." No journalist yeah, would no. ever
4: go, "Yeah, yeah, this is cool." Yeah, let's not tell people this is AI gen. No, journalism is about truth and transparency, and they've broken that very top first tenant of that. So, Sports Illustrated should be ashamed, and we should begin to form coalitions around how are we going to handle AI because we need it right? Journalism isn't lucrative anymore. A lot of these publications are struggling to stay awake. So we need help, but we also need rules and guidelines and transparency so people know what they're reading and who it's from.
6: Individual journalists, right? They just aren't what uh, they're not that much anymore because we have twitter you have facebook you have all of these huge platforms right that all of us are going to then you have the platforms that are on there and so what's happening is is you're just having different writers for different publications or or on different platforms and so to what you to, to to piggyback on what you're saying colleen i totally agree with you i just think unfortunately This is one of those things where you cannot put the toothpaste back in the tube. And if you think things are bad now, this we just start talking about AI in 2023. Think about where we're going to be in 2025. Yeah. Well, this and is why at
4: Cairo News Radio, you are listening to live, right. real, real humans, flesh and blood right. people who
6: actually do hold themselves accountable. You, so, you, gee. You mean to tell me you, you don't think it's possible for some AI generated to come on the news air and be like, come and keep it a buck with y'all? No.
1: This is Travis there's, Mayfield reporting. There's
4: no way. <laughs> there's no you. way. You're not going to get the same product. It depends on what the public wants, right? Does yeah. the public public want just words? Yeah. Or do they want somebody thinking through, fact Context, checking, asking questions? Them, yeah, all those exactly. Things. You
1: got it. Gee, thank she you goes. very much. We'll listen to you starting at nine AM. It is Mickey time. Mickey is in the studio. Hi. And Hi, good morning. We talked to Heather Bosch about this yesterday, that in-store Black Friday shopping, uh huh, eh, it's a little bit slow it's not this great. year. Off to a kind it's of a great. slow
8: start. But there may be a reason for that. Yeah. Maybe yeah. some of the deals were not as advertised. Um, social media influencers are calling out major retailers by exposing what they call fake Black Friday deals. Mendoza Family Y... Uh, has an account on tiktok and was looking at tvs and wanted to know if the regular price was behind the black friday price card and this is what he finds
0: black friday sell at target let's see
1: 329 save let's see what the deal was before 329 nice so we're getting good sales <laughs> yeah. A Real bad discount <laughs> there
0: 449 yeah. what is it beforehand 449, oh, same no. thing. What the heck is going on
8: here? Yeah, so the video has almost 150,000 likes and thousands of comments, but that's not the only one. I mean, there are so many videos with vulgar language, I couldn't air mm-hmm. them. Yeah. But um, yeah, a Target spokesperson did speak to the New York Post and said, We continue to offer those items at the same discount during Black Friday, but updated the signage to reflect the extended timing. The spokesperson also said those discounted prices compared to the regular prices
4: are clearly shown in both sale signs in and the videos. So, so it was a sale. They say they were just updating the signage right. to reflect the extension of the sale. So right. the price before was the sale price. Then they put a new sticker on it that had the same sale price, but mm-hmm. for longer. That, right. I mean, that adds that, up to me. That makes sense. As that, somebody who's worked retail, you're mm-hmm. often replacing things. Oh, yeah. Go ahead, David. Well, one one of the things that I found
1: frustrating when I was watching, I, I saw some other ones. This one like you mentioned, Mickey yeah. had some pretty vulgar language, but uh, I think justifiably so because what these people found is they were taking off the Black Friday sale sticker on Mm -hmm. one of these items. I think it was some like Levi's jackets at a Kohl's. This was at a Kohl's, not a Target, so maybe it doesn't uh, line up with what Target said, but they peeled off the Black Friday sticker and it was actually a cheaper price from a previous clearance from, I think, the week before or so. And so the Black Friday price was actually a higher price than it was priced before, which to me seems ridiculous. Why not just keep that clearance price and still average? I mean, that's a business prerogative,
4: Mm -hmm. right? To make Mm -hmm. money and to make sure they're making money in a skilled way. And it's up to the consumers, us, to decide if it's worth the deal. So I often do that, too. Stickers. Like, I'm not sure if I blame the companies for doing this, right? Their modus operandi is make money. Mm -hmm. And ours is to get a deal. And you have to get creative to do that, apparently. Well,
8: this happened to me online as well. My daughter, Jeej, wanted a pair of popular girl boots for the winter. You know, the ones that have the wool inside and they're Mm kind of like tan. Colored, you know, they're very popular. Well, I went online to my favorite store. I saw them on sale. I was like, oh, $54.99. Oh my gosh, regular price, $69.99. It's not a sale, but I went, well, here's the thing. (laughs) (laughs) I said, I said, sellers off. I know. I said, let's wait until Cyber Monday and see what the deals are then. So I went back online. And the boots jumped up twenty dollars. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The price like, was now seventy four yeah. ninety nine with a regular price of ninety nine ninety nine, and I went no. And so I, I, I said, that's it. I'm just, I'm going to get them right now. Because they only had two left,
4: according to the website. And I even to the, and they always yeah. do. There's like 20 mm-hmm. people have it in their basket. Uh, yeah. I go back two hours later, <laughs> guess what? 20 people have it in their basket. Yeah. There are all these pressure tactics to get you to buy, buy, buy. I
8: know. And
4: remember, I don't
8: know if you guys remember, but I we spoke to Herb Weisbaum, the consumer man with Checkbook.org, back in September. No, it was October. And this is what he said.
6: Beware of advertising of false prices and discounts that aren't really real deals skills.
4: There you go. Herb knows. He always mm-hmm. knows. Yeah. Herb knows. You yeah. gotta trust him. He's gonna get ya, you. He guys. Is gonna get you guys. Right. Did you get any good right. deals though? Did you find yourself any good deals?
1: I, you don't want to hear this from me. I don't. I don't believe any of it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if I want something, I buy it. Like if yeah. I look at a price and I'm like, that's impossible. That that is the right price. I might shop around a little bit just to make sure that's the actual price for something. Right. But if I want something, I'm just gonna buy it. Like it's.
4: I've started doing the same thing because I did find not just this year, but years prior, where you know you're pushing people over. You're getting black eyes over a tv you you wake up you feel miserable to get a tv and so what i'd rather do is if it's an extra i'll just save up 500 more dollars even if it takes me 6 more months and buy it at full price because yeah it, it's the also not last games. year's model, and it's yeah. not
1: like, it's, there are so many things that I'm like, I just don't want to deal with it. And yeah. some people have time for it, and that's awesome. Yes. Right. But I, I do not.
4: I do
8: not. Yeah. And that's why I love, you know, Wise Bomb, because yeah. he says, if you want to you want to do a price check, go to camelcamelcamel.com. That's a good spot. Yeah, it is. And then, yeah. you know, put the item in, and then go, oh, I can find it over here for yeah. less money. Yeah, Mickey,
4: thank you. No,
2: thank you're you.
8: are
4: welcome. Let's take them to the mat, those retailers. <laughs>
8: Let's do it. <laughs>
2: Thanks for listening to
1: Seattle's Morning News, the podcast. I'm Dave Ross.
4: And I'm Colleen O'Brien. You can find our podcast weekday mornings right at 930.
1: And if you subscribe, you'll never miss the Daily Dose of
6: Kindness.